0: This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to This Naked Mind Podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to This Naked Mind Podcast. So today I'm here with Amy, and something cool about Amy, this is super fun. Um, So many people have had amazing stories and then have become certified this naked mind coaches and Amy is one of them so welcome Amy so glad to have you
1: thank you it's a pleasure to be here Amy I appreciate that
0: that's so awesome so I can't wait to hear um I obviously know quite a bit about your story but I want all the details because you have a powerful story and I can't wait to uh hear it and share it with um with our listeners so where did it all begin for you why don't you take us all the way back sort of to the beginning
1: Wow, that's a very loaded question. <laughs> um, uh, you know, for me, I think the beginning uh, be- began when I, well, I grew up in the church, and um, Christianity, my faith, is so important to me and still is important to me. And growing up in the church, there was a lot of um, uh, things of how I should be, how I should act, and, you know, all the shoulds and, you know, in terms of what you should do. And, um, you know, as I grew up in that church, um, I began to realize I wasn't quite the same as other little girls, you know, that I I was friends with. Um, I wasn't quite the same. And I started to look at things in a different way and that was cuz my sexuality was different you know i started to um realize i didn't have crushes on boys i had crushes on girls and it's like this isn't this isn't right and um that felt very um odd and because of that i felt like i didn't belong you know in in the the atmosphere that i was growing up and um so I think that's where it began with me is that, that uh, you know, you talk about cognitive dissonance in your book, uh, the cognitive dissonance of you want to be faithful to God and do what God wants you to do. Um, but you also want to be faithful to who you are and who, you know, as you feel. And so I had struggled, you know, with that my, most of my life. And especially, you know, going in the teenage years, And um, how that worked out was, like, I didn't drink. Like, I didn't start drinking. I mean, I had the occasional wine cooler, you know, with your girlfriend, you know, school girlfriends and all that stuff. But it wasn't something that became um, something that I started paying attention to until after I turned 21. And so you know, when I turned 21, um, you know, I had a boyfriend at the time, and uh, we would go out, and I had this Long Island iced tea. I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing, right? It's like, I, I feel normal right now. Like, I feel like I belong, and I felt like I belonged to him, and I felt I belonged in the social space that I didn't have before that. Um, so, so that became a trigger, my, my unconscious mind became a trigger of, I need alcohol to feel normal, um, I need alcohol to belong, um, and so that that started my journey of the dependence of alcohol to feel something that was outside of myself, you know, to, to, to belong, um, so you know, like I said, I didn't start drinking really until after that, you know, in my early twenties. And, um, mostly it was to numb my feelings around the the cognitive dissonance between my sexuality and Christianity mm-hmm. and, uh, to feel, to feel that normalcy, you know, with people I belonged and I can, And I'm an introvert and, um, you know, going out with people, it was like, I needed alcohol to feel to socialize, you know, as well. And so that's when I started noticing that, um, you know, that dependency of alcohol in my early twenties. And, you know, there um, I started drinking more and more and realized that, you know, I was becoming depressed and, you know, also just that, because my faith is so strong, is that I knew there was something not right with what I was doing, not right with my sexuality, and not right with um, drinking, and not right with God, and I became suicidal, and uh, went to therapy, went to AA, and I had a wonderful mentor. She was actually my boss at the time, in my early 20s, um, who... Uh, took me under her wing, and uh, we would go to AA together, and that was such a um, wonderful experience because I didn't know anything different. I didn't know how to talk about what I was feeling, what I was going through, and I felt like such an acceptance, you know, with this group. Um, It didn't work for me, (laughs) obviously. Um, It didn't work uh, because, you know, I, I went back to drinking, and Uh, But for a period of time, I became really involved back in the church and uh, started going into uh, Christian ministry and did, uh, I was going into school to be a Christian counselor, and I did prison ministry and trying to pray the gay away. Um, So trying to push myself outside of who, who I really was. And that worked for a couple of years, but it doesn't work long term, mm-hmm. um, right? Um, and so that whole realization of I am losing myself in the process um, became really strong for me. Like I can't, I can't deny, you know, who I am, and um, uh, the drinking continued, you know, to get worse uh, during that, uh, after the, after that fact, when I realized that I can't pray the way <laughs> and I can't mm-hmm. be someone that uh, other people want me to be, and I think that's when it started to really spiral uh, out of control, uh, more so after that period of time of realizing that, you know, that I want to, I need to reconcile who I am and figure out who I am first. Um, so that was, very, that was a very difficult you know, period for me. Um,
0: so, and, and during this time, um, was there any social, like community, family support, social support, did you feel really on your own in this?
1: I did because I hid the fact that I was gay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, for my family and uh, for my friends. And um, and I, I knew that that was tied to my drinking. Um, mm-hmm. And so I didn't, the social support that I had was with, with my mentor, you know, my, my boss at the time and going to AA. And that was what I knew. And then, you know, when I talked about my drinking with my family, and I you know they knew when I was a teenager that I struggled with my sexuality, but they thought that I had resolved it like mm. um, it was a phase um and so you know when I talked to my 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 mom and my brother and um you know people that you know were really close to me about that, you know it was um I said, no, I'm good, you know, my faith is really strong, you know, I'm going into ministry, this is what I'm, I'm going to do. And so that was the life that I was going to lead. And then it became harder for me because I knew I wasn't living my authentic life of who God made me to be. And that, that's when it really became hard. You know, I'd, I would pray that God just take me away. You know, because I didn't want to disappoint him and I didn't want to do the things that I was doing and, and drinking and um, living this life that I knew wasn't what he wanted me to do. And so it became really hard. And that was a really, you know, tough struggle um, later in my, my 20s of when I realized I can't keep pushing aside who I am and not being honest with the people that I love about who I am. And so it was, it was a struggle, you know, all throughout my thirties and early forties of doing that. Um, and so, you know, I, I think what, what really got me spiraling more so out of control was that, um, you know, in my early thirties, uh, my girlfriend at the time, um, committed suicide Mm. and she had a, a drinking problem as well. And I had pushed religion on her before that. Like I would say push religion. That's what people, her friends told me. That's what her family told me. And I felt a lot of guilt around that of, um, what did I do? How, I felt guilt. I felt like I'd done something wrong and that um, I, I still haven't gotten over it. I mean, I still, it's still a struggle for me of being uh, that close to someone that did something like that and feeling like you, you were a part of that. And so um, after that, um, I kind of turned away from God and um started drinking even more so because i couldn't get over that that guilt and the shame that i felt uh, about all of that and um so that 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 played i mean in terms of my story where did it start for you i mean all of those things i think were are those connections um so
0: and so when you when she committed suicide were you able to go to your family for support at that point in time or because you were living I still
1: wasn't out. I still did they didn't know she was my girlfriend. Okay. Yeah. She they knew that she was my friend. Um but they didn't know that she was my girlfriend. Um so that's that was very very hard. <laughs> yeah because She'd it's a it. very
0: different relationship and you know the yeah wow that's So, all right. So here you are trying to pick up the pieces and then also compounded by this feeling of how did, how did I maybe play into this, which just for the record, I don't think that you do have any blame here, Amy. Um, I I feel very much like, um, you know, your desire to express the faith that you have felt true in your heart and like the love you have is is pure and good. And um, yeah, so I, I don't you know, just knowing you as I do, I, I certainly don't see that um, there there's any reason to feel guilt. But that's what we do, and then we drink to push it away. And so, uh, what did that? You know, how did how did that look like for you? What what was happening? How did you move to the next phase?
1: Yeah, so I went through. So that happened in my early <clears throat> 30s, and went through, and I didn't talk about it. I didn't, I went through maybe a couple of counseling sessions, but I I didn't talk about it. And had I to do it back, had I to do it over again, I would definitely have done some more work around that um, because it's something that I've carried um, with me. Um, But so I went through those early thirties of, oh, I'm okay. I'm fine. You know, um, you know, after, and the thing about grief, is, and a friend told me this the other day, is you feel when you have something like that happen to you, you, people are so supportive, you know, in the beginning, you know, I had friends that were really supportive and, you know, my family is supportive because they knew she was a friend of mine. Um, But when, after a few years, they stop asking, how are you doing? And something like that in terms of grief, if you don't deal with it, it's going to be there. And they stop, your friends stop asking and you stop, you you push it aside. And it doesn't, it's not until that you go through other things in your life. So that happened. And then when other things in my life started popping up and I started to do the work of, okay, what is really going on? why am I feeling this way? Why I feel guilt? Why do I feel shame? It's those areas in your past that maybe you have not dealt with that you need to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I went through my thirties. I'm, I'm okay. You know, you know, a couple of years past and, you know, it's fine. And, um, you know, I started to, um, you know, I worked for a corporation that um, the culture was drinking. And uh, so the culture was, you would go out, there there was a pub in the building. Um, You would go out, you, you were, you know, I was a salesperson and marketing person and a project management person all in one. And so you would go out and you would drink with people. That was what was acceptable. And so before that, you know, I thought, well, gosh, I just have a problem with hard liquor. You know, because that's what I was drinking at the time in my early 30s. um, Seagram 7, you know, hard liquor, whatever it was. And I thought, well, I'll just get rid of that. And that will solve the problem. And, um, you know, I would, um, uh, you know, I, my family knew I had a problem, you know, during my early 30s, you know, because they... Um, would see it they you know said Amy you've got to do something about this and so they would step in so I said well I'll just get rid of the hard liquor and that will be good and so I thought well I'll just drink wine you know so you negotiate with yourself of what you can and cannot do and you know working for this corporation it was like oh I'll just drink wine you know when I go out and thinking that was going to be okay because it's socially acceptable. It's what was expected. And so the, the wine started to turn into, well, I'll drink more and more wine because I already had that behavior of, you know, either numbing myself to forget about the guilt or shame that I've had before, or to feel like I had to drink to socialize, or you know, all of these things you know that came up, and so the wine started to become a problem. And you know, when you think that you know, when you negotiate with yourself, of well, I only drink a certain drink, or I only um, uh, drink on the weekends, or I only drink on these certain occasions, that's negotiations, yeah. And, Uh, it didn't work for me. (laughs) So, um, you know, I I would, you know, do it for a while, but then it turned into something else. And, you know, I just got, um, you know, I knew by my later 30s, it's like, this, this is not working for me, you know, this is a a problem. And, um, you know, I'm using alcohol for reasons that, you know, I thought was not it normal you know I don't know what normal drinking is but you know that wasn't acceptable and um so I think that you know I started to realize in my later 30s that that was starting to become a problem
0: so oh wow yeah it's so true everything that you're saying I mean it's I remember that in my own journey so well the negotiation and the back and forth and and just being like trying to even ascertain like is this even an issue, especially because I only recently really realized how much I was downplaying to myself, my own behavior. Like it was once I admitted it, I was like, Oh, I was fully aware. But then I, I remembered somebody said something to me recently. They they basically said like, Oh, I don't, I don't drink all that much. And just her exact sequence of words. I was like, Oh my gosh, I could hear myself saying that. I, in times when I was drinking tons but you yeah. know we really make it um, yeah we make it less and through through all the negotiations so all right so then what's next
1: <laughs> yeah so there's there's more after that um, so then I started um, I, you know I lived by myself at the time and I you know I wasn't involved with anyone and um, you know I just I would have fun. You know, I'd go out with friends and, um, just drink and, um, you know, I thought, yeah, this is, this is the normal thing to do and felt accepted. You know, that part of acceptance, social acceptance of, um, wanting to be accepted and, um, you know, this is the normal thing to do. And then I started to go home. I lived close by at home, you know, with, where I worked, I lived really close by, and I would go home at work, and, you know, have a few sips of wine, or, you know, and during lunch, my lunch break, and I thought, this is, this is not right, you know, in my mind, I thought, this isn't right, but it was okay, and I'm still um, working, you know, working very well, and doing all these great things, and, uh, you know, it's not a problem, but in my mind, you know, I knew it was like in my, I caught in a dissonance that that was a problem, and so I, um, you know, later on was just drinking more and more, and um, I remember I don't know if you would think this would be a rock bottom for me, but it really wasn't. Uh, but I went out one night, and I had I had, and uh, I mean, I'd go through periodic times of not drinking like, oh, I'm going to do a week or, you know, a couple weeks, and then I'm going to go out on the weekend and um, go to a social event and drink, and so it was one of those times, and it was a Friday night. I went out with a bunch of my work colleagues, my friends, and uh, we started right after work drinking wine um, and went to a bar after that and danced, and I ended up, And I haven't told a lot of people this. I ended up in the bathroom floor at that restaurant, could not move, was throwing up. Ambulance had to come and pick me up and took me to the hospital. And I stayed overnight uh, at that hospital. And this was like in the middle of, I was moving up the ladder at this corporate place. And it was a Friday night, and I think, holy crap, you know, here I am, you know, w- I wake up Saturday morning, I was like, what the heck am I doing in this place? Like, why am I here? And, again, you would think that that would have been a rock bottom. <laughs> and I said, like, well, you know, in my mind, I thought, I'm never going to drink again, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that again. And so I quit for, you know, another month or two, and then... I started to, of course, um, start going out and drinking. And I think, you know, throughout my life, especially the later years of being, I felt disconnected from God and my faith and my spirituality, especially in those years of my thirties and early forties. And God was giving me little signposts along the way of, and he talked to me and he said, Amy, you're, you're going down the wrong path. Mm. And so these little signposts kept coming up. And when I, I think it was June or may or june of 2018 you know before that i said you know i've got to do something about my drinking i want to uh, stop or i want to moderate i I need to do something that's going to bring me back to who i am and um because i was getting lost i was losing myself in my drinking and when i uh found your book of the snake in mind um i downloaded the audio and I was like, well, I don't know what this is. I mean, it was like a, you know, I think it was one of those things where, you know, things pop up and, hey, read this and, you know, download it. So I I downloaded it and I thought, oh, this is really interesting. And what really sat with me was the the whole um, consciousness and unconsciousness, you know, your thoughts of your, and your beliefs around what alcohol does, what it is, what it does to you. Um, And the, the no judgment, you know, because throughout my life, I felt I just, I don't want to talk to anyone about this. I don't want to share my story. Um, And it's an interesting thing that a friend said to me today, sharing your own life story is sharing the beauty of God's creation. Mm. And that really stuck with me is because we are all human, we, we all have our own stories, and it's not our fault. And I think that's what really stuck with me when you said, um, it's not your fault. Um, and it is your responsibility to, to learn what you can learn and to grow from it. And so that's, that's when I started my journey of learning from What does alcohol do? What is my relationship with alcohol? And I'd never done that work before. You know, I'd never thought about how I used alcohol to numb myself Mm. or to because I didn't want to face things in my life, things that have happened. And so I completely numb that and just wanted to forget forget everything about it. And in that process, not only did I lose myself, you know, but I lost my my relationship with God. And so when I started to listening to to you know what alcohol does and really connecting that my thoughts and beliefs around alcohol is when I really started to find myself again.
0: Yeah, it's it's so Awesome. Um, how that works. Just really being able to see that, like I say it a lot, but that you're doing the best you can with the tools you have and just putting down those weapons of blame and shame. And it's interesting because, you know, so there's such a mis- like, misnomer that it's evil that keeps us from like ourselves, from our creator, from God, from whatever, but it's not, it's not evil. It's not doing bad things. It's not making mistakes. It's not, it's being embarrassed and shameful of those mistakes and not allowing them to come into the light, not allowing ourselves to, um, and not forgiving ourselves, you know, not telling our story. And I love how Brene Brown talks about, you know, shame can't survive vulnerability. It just can't. Like you can't tell your story and retain self-hatred and shame at the same time because all of a sudden you have to see yourself with an objective enough distance to say, oh, okay, well, geez, like, let's look at Amy's story. Holy cow, that's insane. She's growing up in this church where she has so much faith and so much passion, and so it's not even that it's an option to just up and leave and hate the church and because her heart has been totally captured <laughs> but because of you know the the humans within the church and uh, who knows also sorts but here's of-
1: the here's the thing here's the thing so um yeah growing up in the church you know I grew up in, there are a lot of different churches right <laughs> you know um and things have changed um so I'm 48 years old, things have changed from when I was younger. And, you know, the church that I grew up in, I am so glad that I grew up in a church. Let me put that out first and foremost. I am so glad that I have that foundation and the foundation of faith and God. Um, you know, my, <laughs> it's a relationship that I have. It's not religion. It's a relationship. And I am so glad that, that I have that uh, the thing is, there are churches out there now that are welcoming to people like me. And that was hard to find when I was younger. And, you know, I read a statistic earlier today. I can't remember, you know, what it was, but um, especially uh, for the young, the youth, uh, that the youth who are LGBTQ, Um, struggle so much with alcohol and they struggle with suicide um, because they don't feel like there's a place where they can be accepted. And that was even more so, I think, you know, when I was growing up, um, that you just, you hit it, you hid who you were, you, you felt ashamed. You didn't have the, um, you felt like if you were going to say something, you were going to be ostracized from your friends, from your faith, from whatever. And so, my relationship with you know with God was so important. Just like you said, it was so important that I didn't want to ostracize myself from that. Mm. And the really, really cool thing about that now is and that's the message you know that I I like to send. Is that now there is, you know, there are places of acceptance that you can be who you are and be accepted, you know, so that is so encouraging and so empowering that you, that people can still be who they are and love themselves and God loves you, you know, so through all of that, um, that, and that's the message of hope that I'd like to bring
0: that's beautiful it's really cool um and it's so amazing how much things are changing in like like 48 short short life you know for things to have changed that much that's really beautiful and it's also interesting because i had the opportunity um pete holmes is a comedian and he wrote a book called sex god i think is the name of it no is that right um I'm gonna have to look it up as we're talking because I, I don't want to get it right wrong but um but anyway i had the opportunity to see him because he also uh stopped drinking with this naked mind and so he he was in denver and i knew this because i had heard about it on a podcast it was on dax Shepherd's podcast and so i'd heard about it and so i was like okay comedy sex god is the name of the book comedy sex god so anyway so he came and in this book he tells this story of growing up in the church and being straight, um, but being very like a normal, very horny 13, 14, 15, 16 year old boy, and also feeling totally ostracized, right? And I do think it is so um, situational, right? We can not ever put a blanket on anything. We can't put a blanket on church, on religion, on any of the, those things. But it's just so interesting that in his story, there was so much shame that was even caused um, just because of masturbation, right? So it was like a total, a, a different take on the same thing. And, and But yeah. also, and he didn't feel like he could talk to anybody about it. And he felt like he was the only one in the entire church doing it. And he didn't feel like he could talk to his parents. And he felt like he was going like to hell on a regular basis. And so he writes all about this. Um, And he has also come sort of full circle to really find the relationship and the beauty in the faith. But as a result of that, being able to just sort of tell his story and what I think is so cool about that and what you're doing with your story is it is, it is again, it's not in it's not in the bad things that we do, or even if you can call them bad, because they're all just part of the journey. They're all just, you know, what it is. It's, it's in our own uh, inability to let go of our own blame, our own shame, our own guilt around it. And like the more that you talk and tell your story, the more that, you know, Pete tells his story. Like now there's a whole generation of 15 year old boys will be like, okay, I'm not totally destined for, you know, torment because of, something that's so biological and natural, right, and, and, um, and same with you. I like think
1: that's the thing, yeah, you, you have to be courageous to tell your story, yep, and there's this, um, there's this thing of, gosh, you know, it's so easy to stay hidden, right, it is so easy to say, you know what, yeah, I've got this story, but I'm safe, I'm not going to share it with anyone. I'm safe in my own little, you know, cocoon, whatever it is. Um, But then there is this thing of, but what if I did share my story? Mm. How would that help other Amy's, you know, out there? How would it help, you know, other people who are struggling with the same thing? And I think that that takes courage, you know, to do that, um, to be able to, say, you know what? Yeah, this happened. And um, this is how I came through on the other side. And it can happen for you too. Um, so that's, that's the hope.
0: I love it so much. It's so beautiful, Amy. I mean, it's so, it's so good and authentic and so important. And it's so well, like, it's just even outside of the alcohol conversation, which is bravery all by itself, encourage all by itself. Um, just the conversation that your faith and your sexuality do not, they're not mutually exclusive. I mean, there's so much power in that. And um, yeah, just really so thrilled that you are sharing that and sharing what's true for you, sharing your truth around this and sharing because it's, it's just so impactful, so impactful.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: So is there any other details, any more to go through the, through the journey?
1: Uh, through the journey, um, I think what's um, important, you know, for my journey is that, okay, so I found the Naked Mind in 2018 and went through the live alcohol experiment in 2019 and in January and was successful for 32 days. So I say 32 days because guess what happens on day 33? <laughs> um Yeah, I got a little cocky. I thought, well, you know, I've got this. And it was never my intention um, for myself to quit drinking altogether. That was not my intention in 2019. Uh, So I thought, you know, I'm going to moderate. And I think the, and this is something that I've talked about with other people is in moderation, you know, as you talked about, that takes a lot of energy and willpower that you're using up that willpower and I thought you know I can moderate and what happened was on day 33 I had a glass of wine and I had another glass of wine and then the next days you know I started to drink more and more and I think you know the caution is actually started drinking more than I did before I started the live alcohol experiment and I think that is something that um, people want to be aware of is that you're, you're, um, I think you wrote about that in your book of your brain um, is conditioned to go back to the way it was when you were drinking. If you stop drinking, you go back to drinking. That's why like if you've gone 10 days, 10 years, and you start drinking again, your brain can be conditioned to go back to the way it was before, and so that was my caution of you know what, I can't do this you know for myself. And that's and each person has their own journey. And I also say that you know each person has their own journey. Um, so you have to decide what journey that you want to be on. Uh, but for myself, you know, I knew that um, moderation was not going to work for me. So um, you know, going through that experience—experience experience of now I know that. So each each experience that you have is a learning experience. It's an opportunity for growth. Mm-hmm. And you know, we talk about this. It's not um, a slip. It, slip ups are not failures. It's an opportunity for growth. And so I I really want to encourage people who are listening to this and watching this that um, if you do have that slip up. That's okay. And it's an opportunity for growth. And how do you want to, um, work through that? You know, what can you learn from that? And so, you know, I took that and I learned from it and decided what my path, you know, what I wanted to do for my path. And I think that's something, you know, cause we, we think about, um, we compare ourselves to other people, of, you know, my friends that I've gone through this with, experiment with are uh, one plus years being alcohol-free. I'm not there. And, but I rejoice in their uh, successes. And I'm like, yay, great. You know, I'm getting there uh, and that's okay. You know, so, you know, each, each person is on their own path. And I think that's an important um, lesson. That was an important lesson for me is that you want to embrace what path that you're on and celebrate that, so.
0: I love that so much. That's so awesome. So um, if you were going to go back in time, Amy, and, and talk to yourself who was, you know, feeling so much cognitive dissonance around the conflicting sort of stories in her life that she hadn't resolved and, you know, really turning to alcohol to handle it, and tell her about like where you are today and and what you have resolved and and where you've come and what would you tell her? What would you let her know? Oh
1: man, that's um... so. I keep a journal, um, and on that journal, the front page, I have two pictures of my young self as a little girl, cute little girl. I was a cute little girl. <laughs> little pigtails bright eyes blue eyes and you know I look at this little girl and with so much love now and you know I think the hardest thing for me um, in my journey of being gay and being a Christian and having struggles with alcohol is I didn't love myself and if you don't love yourself that really sucks (laughs) to be quite honest um you know I'm a recovering people pleaser and you know I've lived my life to please others of what I should be, what I should do, how I should act, how I should dress, how my hair should be. It's a nod to my mom. I love you, mom. Um, All of this stuff. And I would look back at that young little girl and say, love yourself. Be yourself. Be proud of who you are. Because you're an amazing little girl and you're going to grow up and do amazing, wonderful things because you are so full of love, kindness, grace, and compassion. And that's what I would say.
0: That's awesome.
1: And that helps me.
0: Yeah, so good. So good. So good. So if, if um, someone's listening to this and and they'd love to even work with you, Amy, because maybe their story is similar to your story or something you said has just really resonated. Um, you're now a certified coach and where can people find you?
1: Uh, so they can find me at hope on solid ground. Uh, so that's hope, H-O-P-E on solid ground.com. And hope really is about honoring who you are, you know, observing Um, your thoughts and your beliefs and, you know, really participating in who you are and living your fullest life so that you can empower yourself. So that's what hope means.
0: I love it. It's so beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for being here, for showing up, for telling your story, for having all the courage. And I know that um, I know this is going to impact impact lives. So I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Annie. I appreciate being here. Appreciate it.
0: Hi, are you looking to connect with like-minded people? Sometimes maybe you feel like as someone who knows all this information from the Snaked Mind or the Alcohol Experiment that you're living in a world of muggles and people just don't speak your language. That is why I created The Exchange. The Exchange is an online community where we meet face-to-face, live video calls multiple times a week with people from all over the globe just to connect, to have somewhere you're seen and you're heard and you feel less alone and really that you can give back and get the support you need. So if this sounds great to you, check it out at this nakedmind.com backslash exchange. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.